Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. longest-running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine, and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody and welcome along to Midweek Motorsport. Once again we're live, uh, coming to you well, from a variety of locations tonight as the little red second hand ticks round to make it exactly 8 o'clock here in the UK, 3 o'clock in the Eastern Time Zone and noon in the Pacific. Do the rest of the arithmetic yourself. I'm John Hindorf and up in London for this uh, Eighth episode of the 14th series is our executive producer Tim Greer. Good evening, Tim. Good evening, John. And on a pack show tonight, we have what? We have all the usual features. Excellent. Uh, we'll have some news. We'll have some news in Spanish. We'll oh. have uh, uh, a big interview. We'll have uh, still to come. Uh, we'll say goodbye. <laughs> and uh, we're going to prove that we're live by saying it's 236 for four. Oh, is it? That's going to be that's going to be a really close game. Um, very impressed by by that. Now that well, the Windows has done all right, um, I'll, I'll get that up in a moment and start watching that. Uh, shall I do a, a bit of housekeeping yeah. to start with? Marcus Miller, uh, he's uh, running long at work tonight, so he'll be on the podcast uh, this evening. Hello to Right Turn Lover, who's anticipating that we might be talking a bit of World Superbikes this evening. It might Still. be. Uh, hello might to be. hello to underscore Chris UK. Wants to know about IndyCar. We'll have IndyCar news tonight as well. And hello to Dave Olcock, who's also listening in. Thanks for your kind words about the Classic Car Show programme. We have another big Wednesday tonight. After the show tonight, inside Hewland, the Gearbox people. Absolutely tremendous. Thoroughly enjoyed that. It's the first airing tonight. Brand new content, and that'll come up after Midweek Motorsport this evening. Uh, hello to so inside the gearbox is that just a lot of cogs and things Tis. bit of oil yep teeth stuff like that all that kind of thing uh, hello to John McCarthy who's listening in tonight Rob Jenner apologises for his absence listening to the podcast with podcast he says I'll be uh, listening with a heavy heart um, the marshalling community have lost a brilliant experienced marshal all-round top bloke and friend to very many, Tommy Wilson, RIP, from Rob Jenner. And we, of course, echo those sentiments uh, this evening. Derek Hirchko says, typical work day in Dallas, saving the podcast for tomorrow's drive down to Corta, where he'll be flagging at the weekend. No AFAs from Chris Suku doing the first Le Mans equipment selection and check. So much easier when getting to the Flex Hotel from travel destinations. Mike Sargent checking in for another episode of Midweek Motorsport, daydreaming of Sebring Raceway and the upcoming 
iRacing 12-hour race. Thanks for the great content as ever. Alexander Orkin says, no FA after inflating the sheep. Really? Uh, this evening's supper was pork and cider hot pot. Rather good it was too. Looking forward to the show this evening. Uh, this evening, uh, a Thai green curry with uh, very tender beef. That, that uh, was your menu, was it? Yes, absolutely. I had uh, sausage and mash. Ooh. Very good. No AFAs from Mark Atkins tonight. Waiting for Mrs. A to come back from Frankfurt. She's in for a treat as I'm cooking crapaud dans la true for dinner. Look it up. Sounds uh, like something Shay would order. Yeah. O-Ring is... Uh, very good. E-A-U ring. Very good. Uh, is back again. Sorry for the long absence. Missed you guys, but it's not long till June. Tax check received. Sebring tickets received. Ready to receive midweek motorsports. A good day, says Shane. Uh, right turn, lover listening and waving. Carsars Photography. Looking at our 2019 event calendar and listening live to Midweek Motorsport. Cliff Norris, multicasting tonight. Midweek Motorsport and Radio England versus Windies on TV. And Chelsea versus Spurs on the iPad. Really? Um, too many eyes. I'm with the team en route to the NI, NAIA National Indoor Track and Field Championship in South Dakota. Please go on with all of the usual features, but without me, says Andy McAllister. Uh, South Dakota. Excellent. Been there. Yeah. Graham Ingleby, no AFAs tonight, listening for the first time in a long time. David 2 Bruce checking in here. All good to hear from all of you. Shall we crack on, or shall we give a little... Let's shall, crack on. Shall we crack on with Let's the first... new shingle. Okay, do it. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. Where else to start than with World Superbikes? And uh, that was at Phillip Island for the first round at the weekend. Uh, now, after the Bathurst 12 hours, Johnny Palmer uh, has not come back from Australia. Still hasn't. Still not. Still hasn't. Yep. And he was actually um, in uh, the Phillip Island area on Sunday. So I thought it would be great to have him on to talk about uh, the race. Unfortunately, he's now in Adelaide, where it's just after 5 o'clock in the morning, and last night... uh, No, it's not. Yes. And last night, Miss Jax was plying him with gin, so uh, I suspect he's not in any position to contribute to uh, tonight's Midweek Motorsport. Instead, we welcome Nick Damon. It's 6.35 in Adelaide at the moment. He's still going to be hungover. Okay. Uh, But we'll talk World Superbikes with our WSBK correspondent, Nick Damon. Brum, 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 whiz. I don't know. What do you you do for for, for superbikes? It used to be kind of a a thudding twin, but the thudding twins are no more. No, now it's um, it's a V4. If you haven't got a V4, you've got nothing. Yeah, V4 or nor, indeed. Hello, everyone. I had that colour orange, by the way. Did you? Obviously, from some form of packet, but, you know. Really? Not... Okay. Scratch. Adrian Michael Reese has just popped in. Adrian Michael Reese has just popped his head in. He said, uh, another late arrival. I'm normally on a night shift, but I'm early, on early tomorrow. Um, so um, if you can make sure this isn't a tedious episode, how dare you mention that? Um, he'll well, not fall asleep. Have we ever done a tedious exactly. episode? Exactly. Well, AMR, well. good to have you in. Um, let's talk about the big show first. First time with three races. On the weekend yeah. for World Superbike, how did the how did you feel the Tiso 
Super Paul race went 10 laps of madness. Um, I think it was, it was particularly effective um, at Phillip Island, um, given the fact that the key problem, um, when we're coming to this even more so when we talk about the Super Sport race, uh, is tyre wear. Yeah. Um, so, it, it, and you are effectively from lap one on the, on the in the full length races, um, very much conserving tyres and always thinking about having enough uh, of, of rubber at the end to either make a move or just not fall off the track. With the Super Bowl race, which I think was a dozen laps, was it ten laps? Uh, ten those, laps. those, those, those um, theories and problems were gone, and you could go hell for leather. Uh, and that was why Jonathan Ray was slightly closer uh, in his Kawasaki to the Ducati of Alvaro Bautista. Just slightly. Um, well, the thing it, is, you only had troubles with tyres if you were the whole field, except Alvaro Bautista, who had no troubles with tyres at all. No, he had no troubles with anything, really, because he had, um, not only is he a very, very talented racer, and obviously, I think his last MotoGP outing was in Valencia, was fourth, so his man who can... He was top five in in, in MotoGP. He he effectively he swept the whole. Well, he didn't he didn't get pole, but he swept everything else. He was uh, magnificent. And I know, I know a lot of people will say that the Ducati, the new V4 1000 CC Ducati, has an advantage down the straights, but apparently only has a massive does. advantage when racing for Alvaro Bautista because Chaz Davies, uh, Eugene Laverty, Michael Ruben Rinaldi. The other Ducati riders uh, just didn't have the same sort of pace of Bautista. You can only really compare it against Chaz, and Chaz was recovering from an so injury the, the and major started work coming back as well. Um, Bautista is obviously very, very good. He does have a bike advantage at the moment. Um, it's not the first time in the history of the World Super Bikes that Ducati have turned up with a new engine <laughs> configuration or a different engine configuration. And but it's gone, it's gone the opposite advantage. way this time hasn't it? They, they, they went back to a twin and cleaned up when they got the increased uh, cubic capacity on the twins yeah. over the fours and cleaned up. This time they've gone from a twin, which I think was 1200, wasn't it? Down to the 1000cc V4. It sounds fantastic. The bike looked tremendously well balanced and, and in fairness, and I'm going to keep saying it, the Bautista effect, Alvaro, was absolutely on his metal. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think we should take anything away from a man who wins all three races and walks away with a maximum 62 points as it is now from round one. However, the fact is that the what is supposed to happen within World Superbikes is the engines are supposed to be balanced. They they go away and they're stuck on dynos and they're all given rev limits for the seat or for till the, to the for the season. Although I believe you're saying there's going to be a, a, a BOP adjustment and they've they they did that brought it in the beginning of last year to try and quell some of Kawasaki's advantage which they felt was in the engine. And it's pretty obvious that the BOP or whatever we call it in motorbikes that, that uh, Ducati have been given is not as speed as the uh, Kawasaki. Um, you know, it, 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 the fact is that that thing is way faster down the straight, and way faster at the course because it's got more horsepower. And now, yes, it but, had more grip and a good rider as well. But, but, it, it did, but also, it didn't, it didn't wear its tyres. Bautista well, was able... Yeah, it's all right having loads of horsepower, Nick, but if you wear the back tyre out, which everybody yeah. else was clearly worried about, both the mm. both the Kawasaki's, and we'll come to Kawasaki in a moment, but both the Kawasaki's were worried about it. The Yamahas, I thought, looked particularly good. Even the BMW, uh, at times, looked all right. Tom Sykes um, not perhaps getting quite as many points as he uh, might have expected. Um, he looked good in the first part of the race, but then the tyres, uh, race says, then the tyres did start to go away, but he was troubling the uh, the top five. I mean, 
we had three different bikes in the top three, uh, at least for most of the races. Um, but I just think Bautista did a better job. And, and it doesn't matter how many horsepower you've got and how much quick you are down the straight. It's how much you're leaning on the bike through the corners. And he had an advantage. You could see from his riding style, he was smooth. He wasn't spinning up the back wheel. And he still, I mean, he was almost far enough ahead that he could have pulled in and changed his back tyre if he'd yeah, wanted to. The thing to remember, John, again, none of this is to take it away from Alvaro, who always had the perfect start. But if you've got a mechanical bike advantage, you haven't got to lean on it as hard to get True. the lap time. True. So it's it's, a, it's he's in a virtuous circle. The others are in a vicious circle. You know, and and again, I I don't. It is obviously something that we're not wishing to start doing Mr. Conspiracy Theory on round one. It it suits Dorna that. Jonathan is having to fight back from a disadvantage. Yeah, you know, I'm not again. This is not against Alvaro, who's a great racer. I'm sure Declan is is pounding the uh, the death because so, you know, he's a big fan of Mr. Bautista. But the fact is that at the moment, in he a was balanced, a, he was in a different class. Bikes are not balanced. Now, yeah, but he. I, I still say he was in a different class. Yeah, uh, and and don't forget, sorry, John, that this is Phillip Island. Last year, Marco Melandri in the old Ducati won both. Mm. Uh, and exactly because uh, uh, Jonathan Ray uh, didn't win uh, there. That was the two rounds he didn't win. Um, Pirelli tie round comes up next on uh, Sebring weekend. Then the fifth to the seventh of April uh, we're at Aragon. Both uh, both places that have significant straight lines, uh, particularly at the the tie round. Um, after that, I am told by sources within World Superbikes there will be a reassessment of the. Uh, performance levels of the bikes. Um, there are some manufacturers who still have some developments to do. BMW notably were running a very, very stock uh, road-going engine, virtually road-going engine uh, in in their bike, but they're very happy. Uh, again, sources close to the team telling us that they are very happy with the chassis, but they were looking for, they're still looking for reliability before they crank it up to the rev limit that I think they've been given. I don't even think they used all that at the weekend. Um, but the first three rounds, Ducati and particularly um, Alvaro Bautista will have uh, undoubtedly have uh, an advantage uh, and he could bank himself a decent amount of points and a decent advantage, Nick, because Jonathan Ray is not having it all his own way at Kawasaki. Um, in, in fairness, uh, Leon Haslam threw away... Um, a hall of points in the first race when he was in second position, he would have been second or third, even if Jonathan had got back past him. He put the bike down the road and I think got back for a couple of points in the top 15. He sits at the moment in sixth position on 24. But quite clearly, Leon Haslam's got a grip with the Kawasaki in a much better way than um, Tom Sykes ever did. Well, not ever did, but certainly for the last couple of seasons. I mean, Tom... Uh there's been more and more out of sorts. Don't forget when um, Jonathan Ray joined the team in 2014, he was actually joined the 2013 world champion, Ono Kawasaki, who was Tom Sykes. So yeah, I mean, he obviously mm. you know, won very easily and uh, uh, slowly dominated Tom, but then there's a kind of a breakdown over the last couple of years and there were some issues off, off track as well for Tom. He's now re-emerged at uh, BMW. We can work with the team as a, as a leader to build it up. And who knows what, that, what will happen there? But yeah, I mean, I think, I, I think, you know, the, the, the it's a it's a, a great start to, to the event. The three race formats seem pretty good, seem great. interesting. Um, yeah, we've got another, another another more unique shape track and, and temperature wise with um, with the tie event, and then we get to Aragon. But yeah, it's a long it's a long series, and even despite you know 
losing all three races, uh, our reigning four-time champions only 13 points behind the uh, the upstart from uh, from Spain. So Kawasaki still clearly in with a shout. Yamaha's performance was great. It, it's it's a battle, an intra. Uh, Nissan battle between two different Yamaha teams. Marco Melandri, Alex Laws, Michael van der Mark sit in third, fourth and fifth position in the points uh, on respectively 30, 30 and 29 with Sandro Cortesi in seventh position on the other Yamaha in 19th. Those two, there's, there's no lost, love lost between those two Yamaha teams, is there? No, no. And it's interesting that, you know, that, that once again, Alex Lowe's and Michael van der Mark are, are tied together in the Patter team, almost exactly on points together. And Marco Melandri's had another very good um, event here in Philippa, there in Philip Island. You know, he, didn't, he didn't win another race after winning both the Philip Island events in 2018. And he actually drifted out the top three. So Marco needs to find a way of being a little more consistent on the Yamaha as the season rolls on. Uh, did you watch anything of Supersport? No. Very interesting. Pit stop race. Yeah, I did hear that, but that, that uh, Pirelli had an issue with the tyres again. This on the maximum uh, abrasiveness or wear-inducing circuit. Lap six to lap ten was the pit stop uh, window, and uh, Gilles Cluzel back or uh, the perennial bridesmaid, the Frenchman, after his. Uh, Big accident with his uh, left leg broken, tib and fib, very nasty. Had done some practice out in Portugal, I believe, where he swapped the gear shifter from left to right-hand side. Not a work of a moment, I would have thought, to get your head around that. Um, I think it's more of an issue for the team, actually, because the you know, you, effectively they, have, they have to run a cross-linkage to get it from one side to the other. Mm. Um, I think pretty quickly a, a, a motorcycle racer can, can adjust to that. I mean, yeah, obviously, you know, Phil Reed won always world champion with the uh, with the gear shifter on that side because that was the traditional British side to have it but um, yeah I, I don't think that's a bigger issue I think the bigger issue was he, was, he had to re- rejig his braking I think that's more difficult uh, it was Randy Krumenacker Hop Suisse who won the race uh, for Yamaha in fact Yamaha cleaned up the top five with Gilles Clusel coming in second bit of a nightmare in the pit stop actually which uh, cost a number of riders uh, including Federico Caracasulo in third position good showing by Hector Barbera in fourth Thomas Gradinger the Austrian in fifth position the first non uh, Yamaha was Hikari Okubu on the Kawasaki, then uh, Yamaha, Honda, Honda, Yamaha for the top 10. I enjoyed the Super Sport race. I actually enjoyed the pit stop uh, game as well, which was unusual for a dry race. And they had to change the wheels as well. Um, some of them did two, some of them only did the back wheel, but it was good fun. Uh, next mm. round, yeah, yeah. Um, 15th to 17th of March is the next uh, next round in Thailand with those, what, one, two, three and a half long straights there. And then it's Aragon in Spain. World Superbikes worth watching. When does MotoGP start, Nick? Uh, after F1 normally, doesn't it? Um, and so we've still got down, a... they're, they're testing this week in La Salle, which is where they start the race as well, because they start under the lights. Ah uh, yes, which we love. That is one of mm-hmm. the the great races, um, the great things to watch. The uh... I'll tell you when MotoGP might be starting. Right, and that is now earlier than it's currently scheduled to start. Uh, because of the weather. Uh, because of the dew. Oh really? With first a D. Of, first of March. Oh no, that's testing. Sorry, my apologies. I, I'm looking at a very confusing calendar that's got everything. Last on it. night at eight o'clock. 
Right. Tenth uh, of March. Sorry, tenth of March. Go ahead. Oh, it's before. All right, before F1. Then sorry. Yeah. Last night at uh, eight p.m., uh, Jorge Lorenzo and Mark Marquez both fell off, blaming the Jew, and that is the scheduled start time for the race on March the tenth. Really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, so they have appealed to Dorna to bring the race forward by an hour. Right. He's well, we'll, Mark, then. We'll we'll get we'll get more of that as we get closer to it. We've got another week before we need to start worrying about that, really, don't we? We'll, <laughs> we'll have had a bit more testing. Yes. What's been going on in uh, MotoGP testing? So far everyone's fast, everyone's slow, everyone's concerned, uh, everyone thinks everyone's fast, everyone else. Mark Marquez uh, uh, oscillates for he's going to have absolutely no chance to, he's definitely going to make the podium. Uh, Jorge Lorenzo thinks he's got a problem. Um, I think it was, uh, was it Petrucci who was looking particularly quick. So um, effectively, not, it's, everyone's doing everything to everybody. It's not telling us anything. Pretty much, yes. Uh, Lorenzo today has said he's very satisfied and uh, so is Cal Crutchlow. Paul Aspargaro is uh, very impressed with the potential of the KTM. Apparently, yeah, he says, yeah, so he Maverick Vinales is not uh, impressed with his bike. He's, yeah, he's Monster Energy Yamaha. Well, that's funny because I thought that uh, Rossi thought it was all right. No, well, this is the problem. You see, they're, they're all changing every half hour, aren't they? Hmm. I like it. I don't like it. Yeah, which is good. It means that they don't know what's going on, so they're, so they're all sandbagging their own thoughts. Who, who agrees with Nick Damon? Uh, everybody. Uh, no, Divisioso. He says it's impossible to tell what anyone's thinking. <laughs> there you go. I'm hot wired Andrea there. Yeah, very good. Very good. Uh, any more bike news? Yes. Go on. This is a story we've uh, covered before. Right. Um, do you remember I told you about uh, a colleague of mine who uh, ended up uh, going to a uh, holiday resort in Bali and uh, finding uh, MotoGP bosses were there at the same time. Yes. Well, the uh, Indonesian government uh, has uh, now signed an agreement with Dorna to host a race at Mandaika. They've signed signed an agreement for both MotoGP and World Superbikes, haven't they? uh, This is a track which is part racetrack and part road, isn't it? It's a semi-permanent circuit. How the, long? It, it's 20 years since the, the Mortal GPs. 20, more than that. 22 uh, now. 1997 was the last race since... Shara Very good. We, we used to fall off on snakes. That's why I remember that. <laughs> I slipped on a snake. So this Serious? isn't going to happen now that I've found it. Till 2021. And that will mean it was a 24-year gap. Right? Yes. Uh, will they be? Will they, is this an extra race? Will they actually get rid of one of their 112 races in Spain for it? Oh, I'm not sure they could do that. The Mandalika Special Economic Zone doesn't, doesn't have a, con- a circuit at the moment, but it's going to get underway uh, in October this year. Works scheduled for completion in 2020 for a, a race that will happen in what did I say? 2022. 2021. Spring of yeah. 2021. The country's also submitted a formal bid to hold the 2032 Summer Olympics. Mm. Really? Mm. In, in the Blimey. same place. Sentul was the last international motorcycle race in Indonesia. That. 1997. I told you that as well. Yeah. Okay. I'm just 
you know, underlining it. <laughs> uh, anything else? Uh, not with two wheels, no. How about four wheels? Uh, yes, because otherwise uh, we'd have to end this show an hour and 40 minutes early. Right. Um, a bit more testing then, is it? Uh, yes. There's, everyone's testing. Testing, testing. One, uh, two, but three. we're specifically going to go to Barcelona. Excellent. Hooray! This is uh, Formula One testing. And, uh, this is the second test at Barcelona, because the they were there last week as well. I remember that. Yes. Yes. Uh, the second four-day test. Right. Um, mm-hmm. They're obviously doing a test series. Very good. Oh. Uh, and uh, last week, you'll remember that uh, Ferrari were the best team. Yeah. And this week, they're not. Well, we don't know that. Why they're, don't they're we know that? The they're, they're, not, they're not fastest. They haven't done many laps either. No, their fastest team has been McLaren both days. Yes, it's been a very interesting what? first couple of days of the test. Did you just say the yes, fastest team's been McLaren? Both days, yeah. What did they do? Drop it out of an aircraft and time it? Just take the fuel out. Ah, uh, okay. Um, yeah, so what happened was we, we, we started straight away when, when on, on uh, Tuesday, which was the first day of the test, the Mercedes rolled up uh, uh, with a significantly different aero package, which some, some people actually thought they'd built over the weekend. Excellent. Because they were worried about their performance. Yeah. Uh, it was pointed out that actually they probably this would probably be in the works for at least two months. And what mm. what actually it was was the first set of bodywork was just like a baseline testing set of bodywork. So and it's quite a major change to the to the nose area, the barge boards, and everything else. So they 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 they, they so basically that was a first surprise was a, was a major aerodynamic revision built in three days uh, <laughs> by Mercedes. Uh, the second surprise was that um, uh, they had an engine problem. Valtteri Bottas ground to a halt and lost the whole of the afternoon on Monday uh, with oil pressure. And so Mercedes having a few issues. And then today Ferrari had an issue because um, Sebastian Vettel crashed it. Uh, though apparently it was mechanical fault, and left, he smacked it up in the, into the wall. Left front uh, of the car, there was a problem. They still don't know what it is, according to the team. Um, Mercedes bouncing back, though, today after that engine yeah. problem. Uh, 176 yeah. laps today. Well, this is the thing, you see. This is, this is really where it comes down to the fact that... Oh, Nick's gone. It's frustrating everybody because no one really fast they are. But right. they Go are back. Stop, stop, turning stop, around, stop. lap off, lap off, lap. We lost you for a moment. So I disappear. Yeah. So I disappear. Yes, you did. Uh, no, I'm just saying, this is, this is the Mercedes doing the Mercedes scene. They're not actually going for an outright lap time, which is very frustrating for all of us pundits for punditry purposes, And they're, that, which is actually allowing, actually, in many ways, even more punditry as people are speculating how far behind they are or if they're not. Um did, they did about another, see, two and a half race distances. I mean, we've had a lot of laps from a lot of people. But interestingly, a lot of cars have not been going as fast. Like Renault did a lot of um, distance testing. Fry weren't super quick on Monday either. Um, and it's been left to McLaren and uh, to lesser extent um, Racing Point or Knee Force India um, to put in times which are slightly, very slightly faster than we saw at the back end of last week. We may see someone on uh, either Thursday or Friday, actually go out and try and do a, a low fuel qualifying run. I'd be surprised if they didn't try at least cranking the engines up at some point. Interesting to um, see that both Haas and Renault used harder tyres than everyone else. Uh, Roman Grosjean, who did a 1.19.7 in day two, his fastest time there, which was a couple of seconds plus away from the best, was set on a C2 tyre, a C1, which is the hardest tyre, Danny Rick, but that was a 1.22 for Renault. 
Uh, Carlos Sainz in the McLaren set a 117-144 on the C4, which is the second softest tyre. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't seem... The, 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 the hypersoft, as it used to be called, the C5, doesn't seem to be showing massive gains at... Um, Barcelona, but Barcelona is very what Robert Kubica used. used. If they, if they were going to use the C5 in an actual race weekend, they get about two and a half laps out of it. So you know, it, it's perhaps not well suited. So most people are running on the the medium or the one of the two mediumish compounds uh, to try and get a baseline. And they're obviously what they're doing is they're going in there, they're adjusting setup, seeing what it does, adjusting it back, seeing what it does, doing baseline testing and doing what testing's all about. Just that these days, that because they're a group test, I mean. Yeah, not so long ago, 20, 25 years ago, before testing was so curtailed, A team would be testing everywhere, but you'd have you know, Mercedes would be at Jerez and Ferrari would be at Ferrano and someone would be somewhere else. And you, the most you ever saw on the same track, on the same day, was perhaps two or three, and, and, and testing was very much less analysed than it is now. Um, obviously, it fills a void. There's interesting stuff that goes on. Um, but yeah, Good I mean, to no, see no, Williams no, getting some laps and Alfa Romeo looking decent again as well. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, I think I think Williams are obviously still way behind the eight ball. They, regardless of the laps they got, the car doesn't look particularly swift uh, in comparison to the others. They perhaps can do something between now and Melbourne. Um, Alfamo has a few more aerodynamic tweaks and, and tips. See what's going on, and we are. I think in many ways, even less sure what's really going on this week. We were last week because people are, uh, you know, are beginning to move their cars towards a more racy status. But in many ways, actually doing race distances and not individual lap runs. So we're just seeing people doing 22s and 21s and 22s and 21s. And, and it's hard to tell because you don't know if they're on, if they've got the full 105 kilos of fuel or 50 kilos of fuel, which is two and a half seconds in itself. You know, what is going on? Uh, two more days this week. Yep. And it will, at the end of this, there will be a lot of articles about who's fastest and who looks the best, and they will invariably be wrong. <laughs> it's uh, it's still going to be Mercedes' season. So. Who else had a crash today, uh, Nick? Don't know. Who else had a today? crash today? I don't know who else had a crash today. It wasn't following every single second of it. Um, was it Max Verstappen? Did Max go off the track? Yes. How much did he break it? Gearbox. Oh, that's oh, quite big then. Yeah. I mean, backwards. Uh, no, who, described, who described today Karen? as a good day? Uh, everyone. Carl of uh, Science. It was uh, Robert Kapitza. Well, they are getting lapped. Things, these things are reliable. The Mercedes PowerPoint is chunking them around, and they, are, and they are therefore able to do some work on the car. They're able to get some baseline settings and work out what it's like. I think they're in trouble, but then that's not exactly Mr. Crystal Ball there, is it? Who described today as a productive day? Uh, has Kriat. Oh, all right, Danny. It's it's because you hadn't mentioned Toro Rosso yet. Many many years ago, before the internet, uh, we used to be given the you know the, the sheets at the end of every day, and there'd be quotes. And if you took the Friday or the uh, if you took the Friday sheets, and in many cases the Saturday sheets as well, so either the pre practice or the qualifying, if you read out the quote and didn't read out the name. It was totally indecipherable who it was. You couldn't get me played. We we oh, the, the, the Winter Nights flew by playing that game. Because you know, it, it, it's just bland, bland 
comment because they haven't got anything to say either. You know, they, they, unless something spectacular happens, like Vettel crashing or you know, Mercedes engine not working, people are just doing their thing and no one knows what their thing is. We're going to find it all out on the 16th of March when they do qualifying in, in, in Albert Park. Robert Kubica also said time is running out and in the end, from a driver's point of view, we haven't done any work on the car. There are a lot of things to discover and unfortunately not a lot of time before the first race. Said that to Sky Sports in the UK. So oh. there you go. Who has said that he will not be on pole position in Melbourne? Anybody except uh, Lewis. I don't know. Lewis a good question. Have a Who has a qualifying that? record in Australia, though. Mm. Uh, so he might have said that as well. Uh, specifically, it was Carlos Sainz, mm. although I'm now also going to say this, I won't be on pole in Melbourne. Are you sure? Yeah. All right, OK. Well, that's a bit defeatist. Who said... Everything seems compressed. It seems tighter than ever. The midfield are closer to the top three teams and a few tenths can make a big difference. And it's somebody who you might not have expected to have said anything to do. Uh, someone wasn't driving. Was it, uh, was it Fernando Alonso? It was Fernando Alonso, who is now that, here. A Mercedes ambassador driver. More cash, please. I can only me. give you half a point for that. He's a McLaren ambassador. Not a Mercedes, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Terrible slip of the tongue. Yeah, he's turned up. Um, he's driven. He's driven down from his, his, his palatial residence. He's wandered around. Everyone's going, "Hello, that Fernando. You, you won't retire long." Um, and he's going to do some test driving of it at some point during the season and give him some feedback. And he's an ambassador. I'd like to point out that Fernando Alonso has not retired anyway. In the no. fact that he is racing two other international championships, right, world championships, what one world championship and one uh, extremely prestigious. Um, Regional championship. International. Yeah. Moving on. Uh, Shall we do a couple of, before we move on, uh, have you got more F1? Uh, well, I have, but do some tweets if you All want right, to do um, tweets. Back to bikes. Right Turn Lover says, pretty impressed with Cortez here. First time racing on a big bike. Pretty much on the pace, minus the first couple of laps with the rest of the Blue Man group. Very good. Uh, keep those coming at Specutainment, please. <laughs> Uh, Dave Alcock's got his essential supplies in tonight, uh, which looks to me like a large coffee. Is that a coffee? I'll have to have a look at that. Might be an Irish coffee. Yeah, it's it, it's a it's a uh, cafetiere actually, so he's going well. Very uh, nice. Back to Formula One on Midweek Motorsport, just after half past eight. What you got? Uh, who is still fine tuning himself? <laughs> Lando Norris. Close. Uh, Robert Kubica. No. No, I mean, in Young uh, and George. Tall. George. No. George Roger Russell. No. Oh, um, Russell. Pierre Gasly. No. Uh, Antonio Giovinazzi. No. Alex Albon. Alex Albon. Yeah. Oh, blimey, got there in the end. Did he spin today on the fourth corner or did he manage to get further? Hey, he they got further. Say th- they say nice things about him, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Very good. Uh, 285 for four, by the way. Like, ooh, the, really? interesting, the, the interesting about Alex Albon is Alex Albon, who I'm sure in every single country outside of the UK is known as Alex Albon from Thailand, in the UK is known as London Boy Alex Albon. <laughs> they always say that when they talk about him. Who of Redo announced as uh, their reserve driver today? Sergey, here's the Czech Sorokin. Is correct. Not Jean Ragnotti then? No. Shameful. <laughs> he didn't want the job. Well, Pat Jobby wouldn't do it either. Mm. Nor Alan Prost. Well, he might be quicker, to be honest. Uh, 
Moving on. Uh, who might be testing with Alfa Romeo? Uh, Mick Schumacher. Yeah. Really? I yeah. That's just that's basically a, a story where they thought, hang on, now there's, there's some young driver tests coming up. Um, who hasn't got any young drivers signed up? And the answer to that obviously is Alfa Romeo. So I think, oh, let's put these Ferrari Junior now. Let's stick that together. A, B, and C. Yeah, absolutely. Like right. Absolutely right. Could they um, not classify Giovinazzi as a young driver because he's very young still? Um, yes, but they need two, don't they? They can't give them the whole test. Yeah. Uh, and uh, who has been unsacked after an internet campaign? <laughs> That'll be uh, Theodore Slotover. Correct. Absolutely right. This is the uh, Sky Sports F1 presenter, pit lane presenter, known to the world as Ted Kravitz, is his stage mm. name, isn't it? And good old Ted uh, had been put out of a job, Nick, but after the internet was mobilised, uh, well, there's been no, a bit no, of a no, U-turn. No, absolutely not. This guy were in no way uh, bowing to uh, pressure uh, on this very important season when they need every single subscription they can get and no negative publicity, John. They always were going to... <laughs> going to announce him really oddly and awkwardly several days after they announced the rest of the team. That's how you do things. You know that. Um, Ted, look, we are, were privy to some of the ins and outs I won't go into, but the fact is, is I think if we say there's an element of clash of personalities in the environment, yeah. uh, and Ted was on the wrong end of it, um, what I think the, the interesting thing is, I think it's what people have suddenly realized is, is, is that what has happened with Sky Sports and, and actually sports coverage in general is there has come this big, big movement towards if you haven't done it, you can't report on it. So, you know, the Gary Lineker's so the main presenter. Of well, a, that's particularly in cricket. If you're not, yeah. a, in fact, you have to have been virtually an international captain to broadcast cricket nowadays. It's, and it's, rather I mean, annoyingly, they're very good at it. No, I think it's particularly bad in, in the UK on that front. I think it's not quite so bad in the US. It still have the, but then unfortunately, the US they don't have a lot of international cricketers in the US. No, no. Fair point. But well the US, US sports presentation is still stuck in the blazer era. So you know, what can you Nothing do? Nothing wrong with wearing but blazers. There is, you do it religiously on television for the sake of it. It looks stupid. John's um, wearing a blazer right now. Well, Just yeah. a blazer, though, nothing else. But Ted was, was yeah, apart from the, the, uh, Simon, who's the main presenter, Ted, Ted, Ted actually had a, an element of being a normal human being. You know, he wasn't an XF1 driver. They know, I think Sky got seven now XF1 drivers as part of their presentation uh, rolling team, or six and Oh, I think it's more than a... that, because we've got uh, Martin Bruntle, Karin Shandok, uh, Paul DeResta. And Davidson's back in again. Um, um, Johnny Herbert and Damon Hill. Um, How many is that? That's seven, isn't it? Six. Is Ant Davidson still with them? Uh, very races, occasionally. Yeah. Right. He, he, he can't commit a huge amount of time for some reason. Right. I've also worked out that Paul DeRest is going to have to do some, some classic races as well now. He's got the R Motorsport drive, so I think they were probably thinking that Dave was going to do the whole season, but he's obviously got a, a, a clashing drive now, so he can't. Um, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, I, yeah, Ted... Oh God, I've, I've known Ted for... Well, since he started back in well, 2002. worked with him. Um, yeah, it's been in touring cars, yeah. and you know he's he, he developed into a very, very fine broadcaster and a good journalist, and 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 really nice thing, in that he's not 
involved and he's not come from yeah whilst he's in the bubble he hasn't come from the clique and it's a very good point mate that he is prepared to ask the more difficult questions which you're not going to get from karen chandler lovely man though he is and very insightful about understeer and oversteer he's not going to no but current current's a bit di- current is a bit different because he is a student of the sport and he has encyclopedic no he's not coming to our quiz right because no. he has encyclopedic another knowledge. one <laughs> could put him and neil Woody on the same team no absolutely not well, or if you don't want anybody he, he, else to turn up. Hang on. Perhaps he can be against Neil Woody and give another team a chance to win. Um, no, but, but so, you know, it, it, it's interesting that it's, there's been an, an, a vault fast. What hasn't been said, obviously, is whether Ted's in for the whole season every race or whether this kind of sop to the, the crowd may see him doing like a lot of the other. There's a lot of, there's a lot of rotation in, in the Sky Sports team away from uh, Simon Lazenby and Ted. I mean, there's, and, and even Martin takes two races off, doesn't he? Uh, and Crofty, of course, is the whole thing. But, you know, there's a lot of rotation beyond that. So it may be that Ted will be part of that rotation. Um, and does that mean that Ted's notebook is back, which is one of the things that I never miss, frankly? Um, kind of think if he's going to be there, a bit, bit pointless not doing it, wouldn't you? Yeah. Best show on television. I agree. Uh, what I do like is I do like people who uh, who are given 15 minutes of airtime to fill by themselves. I quite enjoy that as well, personally. Yes, you do, <laughs> and you're very good at it too. There's an element of uh, of of that uh, type of of programming with, you know, it's it's one cameraman, one presenter walking up the pit lane with him literally as he goes past each of the teams looking at his notebook and going, ah, this is what I found out about them today. And you know what? We've done that for for years as well in our perambulations up pit lane, whether it's me and Creelsey or whether it's Shea and Johnny or me and Shea or me and Johnny or whoever it is at whatever racetrack around the world. I like it. I think it's a good way of doing it. Um, we only do it on radio, so we have to be a bit more descriptive. But I like what Ted does with that. And I think It'd be a shame to lose that. So anyway, that's uh, it's a little parochial, although not quite as much well, as it used to be right, because that's the international feed now, isn't it? Of yeah, course. It is, yeah. Although they don't, they don't get always get all of the other, um, all of the other shows, as well. Moving on. Uh, what is the bip? No, not the bip. The gip. Sorry. The gip. Where's the chip? G I P. Uh, don't know. Something in progress. And group d'entrée publique. Right, okay. Uh, keep going, because I've got nothing so far. The Groupe d'Entre Publique is chaired by Christina Strozzi. Does that give you any hints? Nope, keep going. Uh, this week they have... Actually, it was the end of last week. Uh, they have employed a new advisor. Oh, it's Eric Boulier getting the... Uh, Monsieur um, Eric Boulier. Paul Picard job. Yeah, he's got the Paul, B- Paul Ricard liaison gig, hasn't he, for the French Grand Prix? Has he? Yes. Mm. That's interesting because you know who started that, don't you? Yes, Pierre Fillon. Uh, yes, Gerard Niveau. Oh, Gerard Niveau, that's Gerard right. Niveau was uh, was taken on as an external consultant by the FFSA to help return Formula One to what one might say is its spiritual home, uh, the Grand Prix of the Grand yeah, Prix. Yeah. Uh, which is France. Uh, they held the first Grand Prix at Le Mans, of course. And what I think is really nice is that they've decided to continue to have uh, the same quality of roads as 1904 as you get into the track. Yeah, very good. Very good. But, but that's what they need to sort out because uh, in 
you know, I, think I was having a conversation about the French Grand Prix only last week because, um, as you know, I work the company I work for, my day job, Epson, sponsor Mercedes, so we get various tickets that I don't get given. Um, that you don't a, get given. No, no, I keep pointing out I, I'll do the stand up for free and they still won't give me a ticket. Um, it's Palette Club stuff, obviously, and I'm not worth several thousand pounds, whereas potential customers are. Um, but they were chatting to the guys who are going, and there's a big, there's a big delegation from the UK going down there because um, obviously it's quite nice to take people down, down the south of France, and they're total focus is how the heck they're going to manage the traffic how they're going to helicopter. get the customers in and out well it's not as easy as you say that because it's not actually as helicopter as you might think it is up there it's not like monaco where they used to fly them in and flying them out it is a well except very... the fact that there's an airport right next to it yeah but the, 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 they were woefully underprepared last time and the there isn't an indication they've made many changes for this year yet oh dear. i think the issue is that once uh, an aircraft lands uh, there isn't a lot of place for it to go other than take off again, so they are limited in movements. Nothing worse than being limited in movement. Shall we move on? Yes. <laughs> Formula Very Two. Good point. <laughs> really? Yes. Has its first ever it's woman just... driver, apparently. Uh, uh, Tatiana Calderon. Yeah. No, so yes. Oh, it's, and it's, yeah, Tatiana I... Calderon, but it's also not Tatiana Calderon, is it? Uh, now the the, the the not is it I missed out on how is it not her as well she's just testing the thing or what uh, no she is actually going to be racing but With uh, Arden, yeah. it's, so... it's only this version of formula 2 for whom this is the first yes. female oh right sorry i see formula what you're saying. So she existed. is so i thought for me there she wasn't actually racing this year but she is racing this she year is, for yeah. Arden. For, for but of course formula 2 has been around for years yes uh, until it ended in 1984 right. right when was the last when was the last female driver in the f2 f3000 or even back before that. Giovanna and Marty would have done th- F3000. Yeah, Cathy Muller did uh, F3000 as well. Yeah. Who would that have been? Don't know. Well, when did well when did Giovanna and Marty do Formula 1? So it would have been before that. 89, I think she was doing it. 90. Uh, I think Cathy Muller 92, did 92, Giovanna and Marty uh, did. I've had to look that up for Brabham. Desiree <laughs> Wilson, 1980 for Williams. Yeah, it didn't do Formula 3000. She did. Did she do F2 do though? Two, did she do British F2? Davina Galitza did F2. She definitely did F2. That was who I was thinking of. Yeah, that was back in 1976 well, when she was in F1. No one like even Catherine Legrand was in a single 3000 race at any point. No, no. Any of the Swiss ladies? Did they have done it? Because no. And do you know who oh, has the most Formula One starts as a female? Uh, oh, blimey, that's a good question. Lella Lombardi. Lella Lombardi, correct. March, Ram and Williams. Uh, 17 entries, 12 starts and a half a point. Well, Realistically, the, it's the, 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 well, let's not get into it now, but the reason there aren't more ladies in the, in the higher is, is all to do with the pyramid. And more importantly, they skip the pyramid takes when girls hit 13 or 14 in karting. Because that's why it doesn't happen. Because there's absolutely oh. no physical reason for it not to happen now. Uh, Sarah Kavanagh did AJ F3000. Says, where did that just go? Uh, AJ F3000. That's not real Formula 3000. Right. That says Johnny. Johnny Fun. Thank you, Johnny, for that. Uh, well, keep... I'm glad Tatiana's driving for good news. No, it is. She's a decent peddler, for sure. And the stopwatch, neither the stopwatch nor the car... Knows or cares, um, the no. uh, what the driver is, isn't, or might be. Yep. No, I hope she does really well. But good, good team. So that's a good start. Yeah. 
Very um, good stuff. A little bit of a, it is a pretty much a, a, a den of pit of talent in there. There's a lot of guys who know what they're doing. So, uh, moving on, uh, we crowned some champions at the weekend. Really? Yes. Where at? Uh, the Asian Le Mans series. Oh, we've moved on, have we? All right. Well, oh, sorry, let, that, that was a very subtle shift into Asian Le Mans series. Oh, that was that. That was a sideways move. Right, just after quarter to nine. Listen to Midweek Motorsport Series fourteen, episode eight, and let's move <laughs> on to sports cars now. And it's two hundred ninety-five-five. Uh, yes, Chris Gill just been bowled by uh, that looked like oh, Ben shot. Stokes, having taken his ten uh, thousandth international run today. Mm, very good. Um, and uh, Asian Le Mans Series champions at the weekend, uh, which means four more names to go into Friday's announcement for the Le Mans entries, of course, doesn't it? Yes, one of those uh, will be United Autosports. The others being Car Guy, ARC and Euro Interpol. Yes. <laughs> which, of course, will be disbanded on the uh, 29th of March. So they won't actually get to Le Mans. Well, no, it might get a state of execution now. Ah, that's yes, a fair point. Well made. <laughs> actually, yeah. the whole LMP uh, 2020 regulations just gets more and more like Brexit who, every day. 14 who? places to announce uh, on top of those four on Friday. Uh, we'll be keeping an eye on that and reporting uh, on it next week. There's no big uh, exciting reveal. Um, of course, it'll just be a press release. Who is the sole... Sorry, go ahead, Nick. No, no, carry on. on. All right. Who is the sole Asian Le Mans Series champion, according to the Scottish Daily Record? Paul DeResta. Paul DeResta. Yes. He's done very well. He's been in the car himself the entire time. Yes. He built it himself. And now he's concentrating on uh, the German-German touring car championship. The German-German touring car championship. Do they say German DTM? Yes. Right. Very good. Actually, they say German DTM touring car championship. Right. Excellent. (laughs) Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, yeah, in fair, in fair enough though. I, mean, I think your your average uh, glass region probably isn't up to up to massive speed what the DTM is. That's like people who tell me that they've been to Pall Mall to go to the RAC club. Mm. But first, they had to uh, uh, take some money out uh, from the ATM machine. Yes, very good point. They had to type in their PIN number. Yes, very good. Um, uh, just before we. Uh, I've just seen the final paragraph of this uh, Daily Record report. Which says? Also competing at Sepang was Colin Noble and Tony Wells, who finished in third. (laughs) Fantastic. Um, Just a a, a quick point. Are we done with Asian Le Mans? It's been a great season for Asian Le Mans. They have definitely moved that championship on. We had uh, Cyril Tashvelen on, uh, on, uh, what, two or three weeks ago when we got the... Uh, list or, or we were told that they were going to the bend. The, the calendar, by the way, means there's no Japanese round in the 1920 season. Uh, Is that we... a surprise? <sighs> Given that there's no LMP1 class and therefore no Toyota or any other I, I don't know. Japanese manufacturers. I, don't, I honestly don't know, but I, I, I just wonder how that will play. Excuse me. And How Japan that would also play. has its own big sports car championship, which places like Thailand and China don't. Yeah, no, that that's that's reasonable. Um, I, I 
I just wonder how that will play with some of the teams. That's that's the question for me. Um, it's Shanghai on the 24th of November. Uh, the Ben South Australia in January on the 12th of January. That's probably a clash with the Dubai 24 hours. 14th and 15th of February back to Sipang for the third round and then finish up, up at Buriram uh, at Chang International Circuit in Thailand on the 21st to the 23rd of February. Um, it's, a tight, it's a tight schedule including those two back that three and four back to back but I honestly I think uh, they've done a pretty good job they've tried to avoid clashes with other Asian series and other events in the region um, there's transport times to take into account as well as Cyril said to us you know that is a big region and moving the stuff around there it's not the work of a moment uh, I think it's been uh, it's going to be a night race by the way as well the Malaysian race at Sepang um, so that's something a bit different as well I, I wish them all the best I think it's been a good season um, so there we go uh, can I do sport- another story that's related to Japan while we're here yeah and then we've got some more sports car news uh, and that is uh, following the retirement uh at the end of last season of Yuji Takikawa, mm-hmm. uh, he now has another job. Uh, he's taken over a team, hasn't he? Lexus Sentul. Uh, Serumo. Yeah. Yeah, very good. Um, this is the second major Japanese driving name who has hung up his driving boots and gone on to the... Uh, gone on to the managerial side of things of course we were talking with Jan Marber a couple of weeks ago on the big interview uh, which is coming up just after 9 o'clock of course um, uh, about uh, the um, Nissan Legends moving on so good stuff I think it's Nick, Nick I, I do think it's very good that we don't lose the kind of experience that we've, we've been talking about there from from the sport no, you're right. I think it, it's always, you know, it, it's not always do um, great players become great managers. I think it's more it's a, it's a more easy transition within motorsport than it possibly is within football. But uh, yeah, I think it's great that people can can move and pass that knowledge and and desire. I think down to the team. Mm-hmm. I've got some more motorsport news. If uh, if you haven't yes. got anything, yeah, oh, I've got plenty of sports car stories. Uh, new Janetta. Uh, hypercar not a hypercar no hypercar supercar supercar yes now uh, this is a 400,000 pounds Janetta apparently uh, unveiled today I saw it unveiled in uh, Auto Express British built 600 horsepower plus V8 Uh, it's going to be unveiled at the Geneva Motor Show uh, yet to be named, 6 litre V8, 600 horsepower, 700 newton metres of torque, carbon fibre, 1150 kilograms, uh, using its experience game from LMP1 and LMP3 programmes. Um, an interesting design, an engine still very much in the front, Nick. Yeah, I mean, you know, Lawrence obviously knows more about all this than I do, uh, Lawrence Tomlinson. It, I don't actually really see where this fits in the marketplace um there isn't a race series for it obviously to go into um it's not exactly attractive i don't uh, i don't think it's a i don't um, think it's a race no, car it, it, 
It's a supercar. It's £150,000 more than McLaren Senna, which is has all those numbers, and my guess is it will be a significantly more sorted machine. Um, not wishing to have a go, you know. But does this not Can't just see... even cars for shattering reliability. Right, only 20 are going to be built, so it's, it's not a production tw- a car. 12 have already been sold. Does this not just speak, Nick, to the fact that at that part of the marketplace, demand is high for collectible cars, whether they are from Aston Martin with the Valkyrie and the Valhalla, the new car, mm. with the Senna's and the all the limited edition versions of various other cars that come out around the world. Ferrari have been doing it for years. Why shouldn't everybody else crash it? Cars. I mean, they're only saying 20 cars. That means the entire value of the project is only £8 million. Pounds. That's not quite what they're saying. It's 20 cars in the first year. Ah. Right. Because I'm about to say, because you can't do a lot, a lot of R&D on 8 million quid, and then you've still got to build them. I'm, I'm sure Lawrence knows what he's doing. To me, pff, no. Lawrence Thompson said, I felt for a long time there was a gap in the market for mm. a £400,000 uh, low production number supercar. Yeah. And people build them all the time. There's all sorts of people that build them that you know that don't have the the history or and the brand programs. equity of of Janetta. Janetta, don't forget, we think of Janetta as a relatively new thing, but it goes back a very very long way. If you think, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. way back to. The Janetta G10, it was beating the Jaguar E-Type in the in the mid '60s. They are they're good at building low volume sports cars, and and mm. why shouldn't they cash in on their on their on their reputation and, and their brand values? I think it's great. Yeah, it's not it's not attractive, but go from that's not necessarily a problem these days, is it? No. No. Well, uh, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. Um, just a quick word. Tomorrow evening, 8 o'clock, Tora, uh, the online racing association, the TRS, the Tora radio show, on at 8 o'clock tomorrow night. Big announcements from the team. You must tune in. They'll be talking all your favourite console, uh, computer uh, and uh, PC games but also some big news coming up tomorrow. Join the team at 8 o'clock here on RS1. That's the Torah radio show. TRS, tomorrow night, 8 o'clock here on RS1. Time for another story or two from the sports car world, Tim? It certainly is. Fire away. Uh, uh, we finished talking about the Janetta and yes. why it's not a hypercar and why it is a supercar, have we? Well, sorry, it, it can't. A lot of people have been saying, that's a very good point, Tim. Thank you for reminding me. A lot of people saying on the Midweek Motorsport Listeners Collective, oh, is this the basis for the new hypercar? Well, not as it stands because uh, the regulations, as we discussed uh, numerous times over the last few weeks, um, mean that you can't have a front-engined uh, car in the 2020 regulations although i should say that those 2020 regulations are looking like they're being delayed been speaking to a number of people uh, around the paddocks uh, and a lot of this uh, has been published so we're um, in uh, auto and motorsport we've we've mentioned uh, one or two things that mark Schurig has talked about uh, also in uh, um, also in race car engineering uh, as well um it looks very much now, and we've had this from a couple of people, that the 
hypercar regulations, as they are called, will be pushed to at least 2021 at the earliest. Um, not sure how they're going to look when we get to that. The word is that McLaren and Aston Martin have been pushing for a balance of performance to be introduced. Um, that, a lot of people saying, making no sense at all because it would have to be done somewhere on lap time. It works, of course, in GT3 because of the sheer number of cars and drivers that are analysed out there. I think it's very different to try to do that at the Le Mans 24 hours for a small number of cars. Uh, and the arguments are uh, many and varied. Varied. Yes. And pretty dull, actually. Um, Not going to work. Mm, um, the costs are the big issue. Uh, Toyota have... Uh, said that if they were to do it and they haven't committed to it that they're looking at an estimated 50 million euros um there's at least one manufacturer representative who is saying that they will do it but only if there's not a hybrid um minimum weight if you do have a hybrid somewhere in the region of 1250 kilos which would mean a significant re-evaluation of safety features at the Le Mans 24 hours at least if they're still going to do three minutes 30 or even faster with a 1250 kilo car hmm, difficult um more to come the expected announcement at Sebring may be something very different indeed but LMP 2020 now at least 2021 and a set of regulations as we've been saying for some time that set of regulations that we've been talking about and that everybody's been getting themselves either very excited or very aerated about are merely the first draft. We're no closer now uh, to getting a full set of regulations for implementation than we were when they were announced. We'll stay across that for you and uh, try and cut through the nonsense and the hair on fire. Uh, let's have a quick news in Spanish before we lose Nick. Noticias en Español. Olé. Por Midweek Motorsport. I always worry at this point. Go on, fire away. Confirman fecas para venta de boletas para Mexico. Go on, Nick. Well, it's been confirmed that this year there is going to be a massive set of ballets in Mexico. Uh, uh, what? Ballets. A ba- ballet. Bouncy, bouncy ballets, yes. No, just ballet. Bolatos. No, there's two of them. There's two of them. Ballatos it's still just ballet. ballet. Right. Okay, move on. La venta de boletos para lo que llama Quinta oh. Vuelta de la mayor fiesta del mundo se levaba a cabo en dos etapas. Right, okay. This is, this is, so what they're trying to do now is work out how they're going to feed and look yes. after all of the uh, the ballet stars uh, the dancers the principal ballerines everything else and what they're going to have they have a petting zoo with Lola the Llama in there which will yep. keep uh, a number of them happy they've got a fleet of fiestas as well which are going Ford to fiestas cab yeah yep which, which are going to go and get them some food some tacos so they're basically they said, like, tapas was it not tapas did they say I thought they said tapas tapas right tapas and tacos so they basically they're going to have they're going to have a fiesta fiesta uh, uh, taxis picking up tapas bringing them back to the petting zoo filled with llamas. But, but dos tapas, though, so only two types of tapas. So the question, surely, in the next part, is going to be, what do you choose? Is it patatas bravas or is it uh, huevos rotos? What I mean, what is it going to be? 
And in comunicado, se informo que el comité organizador del evento establece que la venta de boletos por lo que llama mm. Quinta Vuelta de la Mayor Fiesta del Mundo se le va... Oh, sorry, I've already done that line, haven't I? Yes. Para esta última etapa yeah. de la venta de entradas, los aficionados al automovilismo podrán acuera sus papeles ah. en la tequila ubicada en la puerta 7 la Palacio de los Deportes y en el sistema de venta por teléfono. Well, I think that's answered the question about what the tapas is going to be, Nick, and, and, and how mm. people are going to be able to order them. Mm. Well, interestingly, yeah, well, you say that, but they, they, they kind of enchiladas came very strong. There's quite a lot of kind of description there, but I was right at the end about they have perhaps a, less than a great confidence about um, how these are going to go down um, intestines-wise, because the last thing I heard was Sistendo Porta Telemo, so they're going to be talking to the big white telephone. Ah, um, so calling God on the great white telephone. However, about, it, uh, about... it might not work, it might not matter, because there was tequila involved, so after a, a few Patrons, mm. nobody's going to worry, are they? they don't, they're not going to oh, care, there's only two types of tapas. And they're going to be have food poisoning, none of this sounds like excellent preparation for a ballet. No. El se realizará los días 25th, 26th y 27th de octubre próximo en el Autodromo Hermanos Rodríguez de Ciudad de México. Oh, uh, they're going to be dancing, dancing in the streets, literally, at the uh, at the racetrack, um, whilst the ballet and the um, the food poisoning is going on. Oh my! I've logged Mark in the shed, so I get to say, still to come on Midweek Motorsport. Uh, coming up in the second half of tonight's programme, uh, we'll have Cher Adam talking about American news. Uh, we'll have Super Sebring news from both IMSA and from the FIAWEC, as well as some NASCAR and IndyCar news. We've got an IndyCar preview coming up uh, next week with Jeremy and Cher. Uh, we'll also have some more sports car news. But coming up next on Midweek Motorsport, our big interview, the president of RLL, Rahan... Rahal Lanneman Lennigan Rahal Lanneman Lenneman Racing. It's Piers Phillips. He's the big interview next on Midweek Motorsports. Midweek Motorsport on RS1. Midweek Motorsport and the big interview this week is with a very good friend of mine who is over in the United States. Thank you to Piers Phillips for joining us on the telephone. Uh, Piers, uh, now, this is, I I can't even believe I'm saying this, Piers, president of Rahal Letterman Lanigan Racing uh, and president of of an august organisation that has been very successful already since you joined them. It's obviously all down to you, Piers. Good evening. Welcome along. Uh, Yeah, good evening, John. Yeah, well, I'd I'd like to think so. (laughs) But 
I think credit has to go to the, the guys and girls that uh, that uh, obviously operate the two teams. Now, I think um, you know winning Daytona with the with the BMW IMSA team, and then obviously winning this, the Mexico with the I-Pace Jaguar team um, was a great start of the season for for the organisation, and certainly puts the pressure on the IndyCar team when we head to St. Pete. Let, let me take you back to the end of January then, and and to Daytona. Uh, we we just mm-hmm. had the very sad news that Charlie Lamb had had died and this was effectively the first major uh, outing for any BMW uh, since that Charlie a major 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 feature in Schnitzer BMW and BMW racing you and I um, know him from British touring cars from from Le Mans etc that in in some ways the pressure was on very emotional because of that wasn't it oh no absolutely I think you know I think the news came was it the Thursday of the first event um, which was a big shock to everybody Um, particularly we'd all been in you know Munich at the end of last year celebrating with Charlie you know the the legacy that he'd already given to to the brand and you know to to all the series that he'd worked in so you know he was very very closely connected with a lot of the people on the team and the drivers and you know everybody around the paddock so it was it was a huge blow to everybody and you know sometimes in in life you don't get what you deserve but uh-huh. i think you know that result that that, that, that the team achieved uh, over the weekend in the 24 hours um, i think there was there was somebody certainly smiling down on us at that point as far as that bmw uh, mhte is concerned started to, to hit some form at the end of 2018 great start to 2019 but it's a long season Piers uh, and you want to be there challenging for for the championship Daytona very much a, a one-off had a separate BOP as well from from IMSA mm-hmm. what's the thoughts for the rest of the season well, I think the thoughts, certainly from our side and from BMW, it's very optimistic. Um, obviously, new car last year, and as we all know, um, new cars have a lot of teething problems. And it, it, it took a while to get those sorted out. It took a while for the guys and the engineers to get the car tuned into the, the two different championships, because obviously they're all under the same set of rules. They're two completely different um, disciplines to, to operate at. Um, and I think obviously when that settled down towards the end of last year, you know, a couple of wins went into the winter with, you know, with a lot of work to do, you know, a lot of analysis and, you know, a lot of crunching to do coming into this year and basically executed at Daytona. We were, you know, I think as a lot of teams were, we were fortunate with the weather as well. You know, we managed to stay out of trouble and put ourselves in the right position when we needed to be. Um, but I think looking forward to the, you know, to the rest of the season, Sebring is going to be, uh, is going to be interesting. I think it'll suit our car the way, we, the way we've got it now. Um, I mean, the competition is everybody is aware is incredibly intense in TTLM, but I think we're all quietly optimistic. Um, and I think with such a great start championship wise by winning Daytona, it's now about playing already. It's about playing the long game, you know, executing and, and keep racking those points up every weekend. Has it has it helped, Piers, that uh, for the 2019 IMSA season that you guys are using the WEC tyres, that the uh, the, the Michelin compounds and constructions that uh, uh, that the European or the, the world team uh, has already been using, and, and, and have you been able to share data with those guys, or has that been part of this voyage of discovery? Well, it, it has been a voyage of discovery, and to be honest, it's kind of helped and it's hindered. You know, I think um, anybody that knows the intricacies of tyre design understands that 
WEC tyres are designed to be heated before they put on a car. You know, they come out of ovens, etc. And you know, here in the US, the don't. So the warm-up procedure is a big issue. You know, you you know, you're not putting hot tyres on. You've got to generate that heat on the car. And you know, the circuits are different. The the, the surfaces are different. The curbs are different. It's it's certainly an area that our guys have worked on. Our engineers have worked on. You know, continuously since since that decision was was taken. Now. Obviously, there are some crossovers, you know. Um, it certainly brings um, the cars closer together in terms of engineering setups from one series to the other. But as I said, it also introduces uh, a, few, uh, a, few, a few opportunities, shall we say. Before I go on to Indy mm-hmm. cars, I've got to talk about the Jaguar I. IPC Trophy Series, a brand new series for this year, identical cars. So here's a series that's very different from all of the others that uh, RLL are involved in. Uh, you've got Brian Sellers and Catherine Lake. Why the Jaguar IPSE Trophy Series? Well, I think, you know, you look at it from, a, from an engineering standpoint and to be able to get that exposure to the electric vehicle racing at that sort of level yeah. rather than jumping in, you know, straight into, into the Formula E was, was one thing. Um, I've got to admit, having experienced my first race weekend in Mexico, I was blown away by the cars, by the technology, mm-hmm. and uh, just to, you know the, everything. It's that a goes hell of a good road car, that, and it's t- and it's turned into a great race car. To be honest, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I know Brian and Catherine love driving the car. I think it obviously took them a while to get their head around it, as it does with with all those those guys and girls that step into something like that. But for us, it was just exposure the, to that technology, and you know, it's another. It's another string to the bow uh, of the RLL organisation. Is it your guys who actually run the cars? No. No, no, no. It's uh, All the cars are run by Jaguar. Um, so the mechanics, they, they supply engineers, etc. We can, you know, we can offer support, engineering support to help guide the drivers in terms of what changes they make. But everything's centrally run by Jag. So that's, you know... That kind of keeps everything on a level playing field, which, is, which I like, which is good, you know. Um, and there's, you're obviously restricted in terms of what you can alter on the car, what you can change. Um, and it really forces the drivers to think about not only the chassis setup, but how that falls into the regeneration programs and how they use their uh, their energy during their, whether it's their test runs, the qualifying runs, and indeed their race as well. So it's... Um, it's a bit of an educational trip for everybody involved. And obviously it's it's an unconventional car to be running as a race car. It has, relatively speaking, a high centre of gravity. It's not like the old touring cars that you <laughs> ran in, in your yep. British touring car days. And yet... Uh, it's something that's clearly captured people's imagination, Piers. Absolutely, absolutely. You're right. I mean, a very high centre of gravity, big cars, and quite heavy, I believe, as well, mm. to drive. You know, you talk to the, you talk to the guys and girls when they get out of them, and they've, they they know they've been in a in a race car. Um, <laughs> yeah, a lot, a lot, a lot, lot different. And you know, just getting understanding how the, the dynamic of the car works as you drive it. You know, as the regeneration kicks in on the overrun into the corners, etc., and how that it, that affects balance. It's um, it's it's a really interesting challenge for everybody involved. And I must admit. I couldn't help myself with getting involved in engineering with my two guys again, you know, trying to help them out a little bit. So, um, yeah, I had to, uh, had to dust off the old, uh, the old notepad, I must say. Uh, now, do I, uh, do I detect, and feel free mm-hmm. to say, hind off, this is none of your business, move on. Um, do, I, <laughs> do I detect that um, this is a, a little bit more than just a toy in the water and what, 
Bobby Rahal, yourself and RLL as an entity are looking at is the big show as well. Formula E, manufacturer interest. Is there an opportunity? Might there be an opportunity? Are you looking for an opportunity to get into Formula E in the future? Well, I think it's, you know, it would be wrong to say no. You know, I think any successful and forward-thinking race organisation is always looking at, uh, at at opportunities. But, yeah, I think it's it's fair to say a, a toe in the water would be a, would, would, would be a, an accurate comment. Right. Thank you for that. I'll leave it at that. No, no, that, that's <laughs> fine. And I, I, you were, I did give you the out. You could have said move on, Hindoff. So thank you for the, thank you for the, <laughs> thank you for the answer. Let's move to IndyCar. IndyCar potentially going through a bit of a, a difficult period, uh, losing their sponsor, found another sponsor in record time. Magnificent stuff with NTT coming aboard. And what we're looking at now for 2019 is a season that I'm really excited about. Uh, you've been down to court to do some testing. How did that all go? Uh, for us, it was, it was very successful. I mean, it's with the change in the in the, the rules in the championship, testing is few and far between. I think the teams get four days ahead of the season, so you've got to be really smart in how you use that. Um, obviously, you're yeah, looking at, at what you did last year and where you need to improve, and as a lot of these teams do, we went with a plan, executed, and turned out to be quite quick in the end, so we were happy. Um, it's early days yet, you know. Um, it was quite cold down in quarter as well, so... That also affects a lot of, you know, a lot of, a lot of things on the cars. So yeah. we were we were pleased. Um, I mean, the championship is going from strength to strength. I think Mark Miles, Jay Fry, and the team at IndyCar, very forward-thinking. You know, um, understand the needs of the teams, understand what the the demographics are, what the general public want to see, understand what makes a race event happen. You know, and what makes it exciting. And you know, let's face it, we're all fighting. Um, you know, it's a competition off the circuit to get people to come and switch on and, and listen to race events, um, you know, throughout throughout the world. So I think um, the new car last year helped a huge amount, just mm-hmm. not only in its looks, but in the in the racing it gave us. Um, you know, few issues on the super speedways. We're all, you know, we're all big enough to admit that, but it's something that IndyCar are looking at. And um, I really think with the new team, some of the new drivers that are coming, you know, that are coming in and how close the competition is, I think the series is just going to go from strength to strength moving forward. And how did quarter go for IndyCars? A lot of people, uh, and, and I, f- I find this rather disappointing, actually, a lot of people say, oh, they were 12 seconds slower than a, than a Formula 1 qualifying yep. time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, all right. They, they probably weren't as quick as a, as a LMP1 hybrid either, but I'm going to say... Downforce, 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 downforce. Mm-hmm. Uh, quick through yep, the yep. Uh, both of those uh, particular formulae are quick through, uh, quick through the twisty bits of which there are legion. How did it go, and how do yeah. you think that'll race quarter uh, for Indy cars? Because that's a that's a big addition to the the championship. Well, I think I think looking at the circuit, you know, you, you're quite right. The, the the negative comments about how much slower the cars were than a Formula One car are not really relevant. You know, when you look at the horsepower and as you said, the downforce and going over those some of those long loaded corners as well, it really really hurts you when you you know when you when you're on on a lower downforce setting. But our guys, you know, talked to Takuma and to Graham afterwards and you know just getting a feel throughout the paddock i think a lot of the guys are excited because they feel the nature of the circuit will keep the cars close together yes. you know um there's some good overtaking opportunities you know there's from a from a spectator standpoint you can pretty much see anything you want to from anywhere in the circuit so i think we're all expecting coda to be a really good close race which to be fair a lot of last season's road course races were so yeah. i'm uh 
I, I'm really looking forward to it. Start of the IndyCar season, not too far away, Piers. Uh, St. Pete's, mm-hmm. traditional opener. Moved a little earlier in the year. It's actually before uh, Sebring. Um, is that going to cause any problems logistically for you guys? No, not really. Um, I mean, our guys, we're ready. We have a, our last test of the season is down at Sebring with, with a few other teams. Um, we'll be back, have the cars prepped uh, and, and ready, ready to get running at St. Peter. I think... Just bringing it that little bit earlier and stretching out the first part of the season takes some of the load off the guys, particularly, you know, in that sort of two or three month run up to to, to the Indy 500, because that's traditionally been a, a real a breaker in terms of effort. So, yeah. I think uh, from from our side, we're ready. You know, the the calendar was no surprise, and you know, like a lot of these organisations, you plan properly, you know, in advance, and um, we'll be ready to hit the ground. Don't you worry about that. Three very different. Uh, races and race tracks before you get to Indianapolis. So St. Pete's first, then Austin, then mm-hmm. Alabama, then Long Beach. So it is a bit of a shake-up of the, mm-hmm. the start of the uh, start of the calendar. So four very different uh, tracks to go to yep. before. Indi- and, and Indy at uh, uh, Indianapolis is the first oval. Now I, I, I've always yes. I've always wondered about that. A- again, does does that pause? logistical issues for you or do you get enough time because it's the month of May? We, we, to be honest, we, we all get enough time. You know, yeah. I think if you look at the, you look at the amount of running that you get the week before the event. You know, straight after the Grand Prix, you do sort of five days, five days on track at Indy, which yeah. you know for sort of six hours a day, you get plenty of plenty of time to run. You know, so from a logistical standpoint, it it's not really that much of a of a hassle. The big, the big, the big work effort comes straight after Indy when you've got to go straight to Detroit and then straight yes. from Detroit straight to Texas. You know, it's uh, it's a killer, but it's it's something that all these guys are used to so we're not uh, we're not really foreseeing any any problems on that side and how have you slotted in you've not been in post for too long but you've been becker busy you've had no time <laughs> to settle in with caroline and and the kids and um, you've probably not seen them much apart from apart from christmas how's the settling in period gone since you've gone to, to team rll Honestly, it's been amazing. Um, the one thing I'll say when, from day one when I walked into this, this, this organization, the level of the individuals, you know, throughout the team it impressed me so much. The professionalism, the standards, etc. It's, uh, it's been wonderful. Everybody's made me feel welcome and it's, which obviously helps a huge amount. And, uh, it's a very proactive and forward thinking, um, organization, which has got big things ahead. And to Good. be part of that and to help guide that, which is my job. And to work for a legend like Bobby, you know, Bobby Rahal, a guy that was so successful in his own right, both behind the wheel and as a team owner, um, those sorts of opportunities come far, few and far between. So um, I'm a very lucky boy to be here. Does, does it help that, that Bobby came and plied his trade as a driver in Europe? He was a successful Formula 2 driver uh, in Europe. He, yeah. he knows the European way as well. Does that help in terms of you guys being able to relate to each other at the very top of the business? Yeah. I think it does. And the funny thing is, you know, it wasn't until I, I took the job that I realised that so almost 20 years ago, myself, Bobby and Takuma... Uh, we're all in British F3 together. Yeah. You know, it's funny how these things come back around, but certainly um, nothing against the US and the racing here, no, but no, no. certainly having that broader experience of uh, of working in Europe and in all those other disciplines, it, it just, it fills the armory a little bit more in terms of, you know, what, how to deal with bits and pieces. And obviously Bobby, you know, having done F2 and been in F1 for a while and, you know, 
throw many different disciplines. It's 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 a big help. Just want to finish off with some thoughts about about IMSA, which um, obviously a lot of our listeners are very interested in in the sports car side uh, of things. You've been around the IMSA paddock uh, for a little while, uh, even uh, when you weren't necessarily always in the IMSA paddock. We, we, our paths crossed uh, because of the mm-hmm. IndyCar double headers. IMSA's in a good place at the moment, Piers, isn't it? It's excellent, isn't it? I mean, what a championship! You look at you look at where DPI is. You look at GTLM, GTD. You look at everybody that's looking at coming in. Um, it's the series, the diversity, the, the support. It's in a great place. It really, really is. They've done a, they've done an awesome job, and um, hopefully, long may it continue. Mm. Is is there an opportunity for RLL to expand, uh, perhaps even beyond a GT Le Mans? Team, you mentioned DPI there. Rumours always abound about different manufacturers coming in. BMW, who you're already involved in, other manufacturers, Ford. We don't know what's going on there. Are you in a position mm-hmm. to be able to take up any opportunities that come your way? Let me put it that way, rather than say uh, make you uh, say yes or no. Are, are RLL in a position? If the opportunity came along to go and do another program and particularly something like DPI, oh, absolutely! You know that, that goes without saying. Um, I think it's it, it's it's clear to everybody that our that our our focus point is firstly winning the GTLM championship with BMW and you know performing from that side. But as an organisation, um, yes, we are we're in a position to. Uh, to, to look at other opportunities if if they became available, but obviously you know it's something that has to fit with what we're doing. It has right. to fit with our with our other programs to not you know not be detrimental from that side. But um, no, absolutely. Piers, thank you very much for taking the time. I know how busy you are. Will you give my best to, to Bobby, please? He's all, he's one of my favourite people. I, I, I will do, John, and thank you for having me. No problem, mate. Piers Phillips on the telephone uh, this evening being very optimistic about their programmes and particularly about racing at Kota. And we'll talk a little bit more about that with our next guest here on Midweek Motorsport. That was the big interview this week. Piers Phillips joining us from the United States. And Shea Adam, good evening. Welcome to the show. Hello. I'm also in the United States. Yes, you are. I know <laughs> I, I know that. Um, Piers, very optimistic about, I want to go through a few things that he spoke to us about there on the telephone, um, but very optimistic about Quarter and how it might turn out to be as a racetrack for uh, for IndyCar. Yeah, and, and quite surprising, honestly, because in the past we've seen through a variety of racing uh, almost an inability to pass as the races sort of shake mm. out, as tyre wear starts to come into play. And it has been, at certain points, a very follow-the-leader style of track. I don't get the sense that Piers thinks IndyCar is going to be that way when they go back for their race in the end of March. So that's going to be something to watch out for. Can IndyCar sort of buck the trend that has been laid by a few different sports car series and Formula One from the last couple mm. of years? Well, let's uh, talk a little bit more of the... Uh, of that interview there. Also, I thought, very interesting comments on both Formula E and on GPI. Take Formula E, first of all. They've been very successful in the Jaguar IPSE Trophy races uh, with Catherine Legg leading the championship with Brian Sellers in a tie, three-way tie, for third position and seeing, effectively, it's a good opportunity for them to look at the, the whole organization the whole show and 
sort of a toy in the water for Formula E in the future. That would be a real, that would be another big coup for the ABB FIA Formula E series if they got RLL on board uh, in the single-seater category. Yeah, well, and, and look at what BMW's already been able to do in the big series so far this year, coming out of the off-season very strong with a brand-new car, two drivers, uh, including Alexander Sims, who is new to the series, going out there and getting a win in the first race, should have had the win in the second race, but then contact between teammates. If you put RLL and BMW, a partnership that's already worked for the American Le Mans series and in the IMSA series as it is now, mm. for so many years, you put them together for Formula E, that could be something fantastic too. That could be a championship-winning team. Uh, and great, I mean, the the win at the Rolex 24 Daytona Superb, talked about the emotion uh, after Charlie's death, Charlie Lamb's death on the Thursday of race week. Um, just an extraordinary start of the season for them. Piers saying that feels that Sebring will suit the car as they have it right now. And that's probably bad news for everybody else. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk about IMSA in, in detail in a moment. But the DPI reference there, I, I, I deliberately there said, I didn't want him to say yes or no to, are you doing a program for a manufacturer? Is there an opportunity for RLL to step up and take on a manufacturer program in DPI? Unequivocally, Absolutely, says Piers Phillips, the man who is president of RLL. I can't imagine he would say that uh, and not know that to be true. I can't imagine that RLL aren't in a situation to be able to do that. And that just underlines what he was saying about how exciting it is to be in the IMSA paddock at the moment. Yeah. Well, and a DPI program is a huge undertaking for a team to jump into. And they're already working with the GTLM program, as he very clearly said, that's their goal this year to go through and win the championship with BMW. But remember in the last couple of years, there's been question whether or not BMW would remain with the RLL team. They did. Look at them now. They've got the Daytona win, so clearly a very good decision. But it's also great advertising for that team, that organization based out of Ohio, Look at what we can do with BMW. What can we do with you? So maybe they're shopping the other way around. Maybe they're not looking for a team. Maybe teams are coming to them. Uh, in terms of manufacturers, yeah. 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 Uh, there's there's still a number of manufacturers in play, of course. Uh, they've been mentioned. Small volume or smaller volume. Japanese manufacturer generally thought, generally thought to be uh, Subaru. That keeps bouncing around. Um, I've heard recently that the Hyundai um, effort is not going to happen, at least not in the the short to medium term. They're concentrating on their TCR program for now, although that is likely not to be the end of it. There's not, as I say, in the uh, very short to medium term, uh, Hyundai DPI on its way. BMW, Ford, other manufacturers as well. And RLL are putting themselves in a very good position to be able to say, look, we can work with multiple programs and yeah. and still bring home the bacon. Yeah, we're, we're successful right now. They've run three races this year and they've got three wins. So that's a pretty good advertisement for the rest of the world out there. And, you know, we're going into the 12 hours of Sebring, as you were talking about uh, with Piers and him saying that the cars in their current configuration are great. They just had a test at Sebring, so clearly they're aware of what they've got, the powder in the keg, 
as far as that's concerned. Think back to how strong the cars were a year ago at the 12 Hours of Sebring. They mm. came second, and that's in the car's second ever race. Yeah. So, yeah, they're, they're sitting pretty right now. Well, let's move on to IMSA and go through the American Racing News for this week here on Midweek Motorsport. Uh, we now know all the people who are doing the double-double, the... What will it be? The 20 hours of Sebring, effectively. 12 hours of the Mobile One, 12 hours of Sebring. Um, the Advanced Auto Parts presented race. And then the 1,000 miles, the eight-hour race on Friday. That's the one that comes first. Well, well. You, you say we know all the people, but there might be a couple more surprises. Because oh, really? right. we don't have the IMSA entry list yet. No, we do. But we do now have the final FIAWEC yes, list. Yes, we do which includes uh, a couple of names in the two WEC Fords that are additions. Yeah. Um, how about Billy Johnson back mm. in the Ford? That's not a huge surprise, but it's great to see because Billy, who drove with the team last year in the one race before Le Mans, that was Spa, the six-hour race. They went on to win that alongside Stefan Mucca and uh, Olivier Pla. It's going to be a very tiring weekend, though, because... Uh, Billy not doing the IMSA race, but will more than likely be in the Michelin Pilot Challenge race. So he's still going to have a busy day. That means he's going to be doing two races in one day as opposed to two races over the two days. But the driver in the 67 Ford joining Harry Tinknell and Andy Preo. How about Jonathan Bomarito back in a GT car? I'm really excited for that, John. Uh, And on the IMSA side of the double Sebring event uh we've got a new teammate or a new name added to the mustang sampling racing cadillac it's mr hartley Hare, and he's <laughs> gonna have to learn some portuguese pretty quickly yeah. uh joining joao barbosa and philippe albuquerque and it's it's actually pretty funny because tony dezino texted me the day before the story came out and he said this is who i think is doing the double and, and sent me a list of names and I said, well, what about Mike Conway? And he said, no, because Toyota's not letting any of their drivers do the second, do both races. And there was that moment of, we all just sort of assumed that Mike Conway was going to be in the Action Express car, forgetting that he has his normal Toyota day job. And then Tony started chasing it up and found out that the name would be released later that day and who the driver was. But it's great to see Brendan coming back into the IMSA series and he doesn't have the best record at Sebring. He started it twice, and he hasn't yet finished yes. the 12 hours. So that's going to be a bit of redemption for him. But he's going to be driving not only the Mustang Sampling Cadillac, but then the SMP P1 car as well. So that's wow. going to be a busy weekend. Um, let me see. Uh, Corvette Racing, they're doing the double as well. Antonio Garcia, Magnussen, Mike Rockenfeller uh, as well. Doing that. Yep. Who else is Patrick Lindsay's team doing both races? There must be, aren't there? Well, Patrick is doing both races. Yes, he's a full season with Park Place Motorsports, sharing a Porsche with Patrick Long, and of course wrapping in IMSA. up the WEC in IMSA. Yes, yes, and wrapping up the WEC season, sharing a Porsche with Jörg Bergmeister, for which he is the envy of every Flying Lizard mm. Motorsport fan everywhere. Um, he's going to be doing the double. Gabriel Aubrey, we assume, will be doing the double because he was announced as a full-season driver for P1 Matheson in IMSA, and he is in one of the LMP2 cars. I can't remember off the top of my head. I think mm. it was a JDC, uh, Jackie Chan DC racing car. Mm. Uh, Matthew Voxvier, the third driver for Wayne Taylor Racing, yeah, will be about that last doing week, both races. Me. And Renger Van de Zanda. Yeah. I've got to tell you, 
eight hours into the in in a lot of darkness on oh. Friday night, uh, and and and. You'll not want to be doing the first stint on Saturday at 10 o'clock in the morning with, you know, only potentially if you do the last <laughs> stint into the chequered flag and finish it somewhere near midnight, you're not going to have a lot of time to get the ice baths and, and get yourself recovered. You're going to still have some sore bones, aren't you? You have to go into the mentality of it being a 24-hour race, though, and you just get a little bit more sleep than you normally would. But the fact of the matter is it's Sebring. You do an hour race there and you feel like you've been in the car for six. It's such a brutal track. And I really feel for the Corvette racing trio because there's no escape. You can't put any one of them in the car and say, okay, go out there. You're still fresh. But here's an interesting thing. Corvette racing still chasing win number 100 on American American soil. soil. Yeah. What if it comes at midnight on Saturday before the 12 (gasps) hours of Seabrook? Oh, wow. Hadn't thought of that. That's a great point. That's that could a, be a lot of fun for Corvette racing. That's a great point. Absolutely. Um, good news as well. Christian Reed confirmed in the W sort of combining IMSA and WEC racing. Zebra, Sebring it's racing Zebra. here. Uh, uh, Christian Reed confirmed the WEC, which uh, means that the streak goes on. What streak's that? The only driver to do every single WEC race. So we still have a driver who's mm. done that. And, just a little tidbit on this. I'll, I'll give you a Provided he starts. Provided, Provided he starts, yeah. yes, yes. Um, he's been on every entry list. Let's put it that way. Yeah. He's the only driver who's been on every entry list. I went back to the dreaded 2012 event <sighs> that still Don't. gives me nightmares. Um, still no official results page, by the way. Um, went through. <laughs> combined, and, you're right. Yeah, no, I, I went through and, and dug around for a solid couple hours the other day. Um, as it is right now, I count close to 50 drivers who were in that race who will be racing at oh, Sebring wow. during either the 12-hour or the 1,000-mile race. Right. So we've got a lot of people who are very familiar with the track. Looking forward to it. And familiar with a lot of a lot of classes. <laughs> Looking forward to it, of course. Uh, we'll be there for every moment of both the IMSA event over on RS2 and the FIAWEC event. Uh, on RS3, Midweek Motorsports starts our special Super Sebring broadcast week on Wednesday. A little bit later than normal because we're putting it back a half an hour or so, a little bit more than that, so that Johnny Palmer can lead the team on a WEC uh, practice session. And we're the only broadcaster to bring you live coverage of every single FIA WEC session. It's all free, of course. Uh, not behind the paywall. No costs involved. Uh, and, of course, we'll be doing the support races for the IMSA as well, which includes the Michelin Pilot Challenge. It's all on the Radio Show Limited network of audio and video channels. And plenty of those IMSA sessions, by the way, with free-to-air video around the world too. Uh, let's talk IndyCar. Um, they've, they've, got a, uh, they've just finished their final testing at... Sebring, uh, St. Pete's at the weekend. Looking forward to I've always liked St. Pete's as uh, an event. Uh, for those indie fans, IndyCar fans in the UK, TV deal to be announced, I think, early next week. The speculation is, of course, that it's good on Sky F1. Um, was talking to some people back in the last year, probably October or November time. There's a very different attitude to the owners of Formula One now than when Bernie had it. And they don't seem as worried about competitive series or competitor series 
on a, a channel that's called F1. That's clearly made a difference to people's attitudes there and an opportunity for, I think, more racing of all different types to be on Sky F1 uh, is is what we've been hearing on the last few months. That was half a chance, I think, of, of getting the Daytona 24 on there at one stage because of Alonso's um uh, in, involvement in it certainly and the other 12 formula formula one drivers in the race just yeah. have to put that out there yeah um it'd be great it has happened in the past we'll wait to next week i'm sure we'll be talking about it on next week's show um but it would be good if if that is confirmed that sooner rather than later so people can make uh, their plans I, I do believe that the here in the UK, a lot of people tweeting and asking about this on Atspec Entertainment, that the BT Sport deal was ended early uh, with the change that we reported here on Midweek Motorsport of who was doing the distribution. It wasn't so much that the, the deal was ended early, John. The car field. John? More on that next week, but I kind of think we know where it's going. Uh, news today finally confirmed about a bit of redemption for Pippa Mann. Yeah, and what a great feel-good story this really is for Pippa Man. She was one of two drivers last year who was bumped from the Indy 500 field. You might remember the very emotional scene of James Hinchcliffe not making the race and then Pippa going up and handling the press conference just magnificently. Um, she has a ride for the 2019 Indy 500 and it's with a team that is especially poignant because it's Clawson Marshall Racing. It's going to be in a Chevrolet mm. engine. The chassis is supplied by A.J. Foyt's team. Now, if the name sounds a little bit familiar, it's because Brian Clawson, the very excellent uh, short track dirt racer who sadly lost his life a couple of years ago now, his dad, Tim, and his longtime sponsor, Richard Marshall, have created this team they're going to be the ones effectively running Pippa to try and make the show in the Indy 500 this year. It's not AJ Foyt's third team because they have said that they're going to be running three teams. It is a chassis supplied by AJ Foyt, but it's going to be under their umbrella. So effectively, if they have any questions over at the CMR racing team, they can go to Foyt. Foyt's not going to turn them away, not going to treat them like they're an enemy effectively on the track. But it means that we still have a seat within AJ Foyt's team that can be filled. But just what a what a wonderful opportunity for Pippa. Really hope that she can make the show for Brian's memory and for this new team. So just pop back to London for a moment. Tim Gray is still down there. Hello. Yes. I can oh, hear you, you can perfect. hear me now. Yes, I can Excellent. hear you perfectly now. Uh, I was just going to correct you uh, by saying that IndyCar doesn't start this weekend and they do have a Next test weekend. at uh, Homestead before they um, do that. Yes, correct. Absolutely right. Uh, so Jeremy Homestead, Shaw will be there. Homestead this weekend and that's where we're going to be doing our IndyCar preview from, yeah, which is Jer- uh, on Monday night. Jeremy Shaw is... Are we doing that live? No. Right, OK, we're going to record though. that. Okay, we're, we're going to record it earlier in the day and it will go out on Monday night. It's going to have to be uh, pretty close to that. What time are you putting it out? Uh, it's out at 8pm. All right, okay. Yes, yes, okay. And we're going to record it during the lunch break, aren't we? Yes. Right, okay, great. Excellent stuff. So that's Jeremy Shaw, Shea Adam, uh, Tim and me for our IndyCar preview on Monday evening. And also with regard to the... Uh, BT Sport deal in the UK 
Um, it didn't end early um, in the sense that it is an ongoing deal that BT has to show things which are distributed by ESPN. And ah. it's regard- it doesn't matter what ESPN gives them. It's just a number of hours of ESPN distributed content. And, and the, the point about that was, just to bring anybody up to speed, um, ES, uh, BT sort of got ESPN as a, as a sort of a grandfathered thing when they took over the previous broadcaster and ESPN had the IndyCar distribution rights. Uh, so they were giving it to their own international feed, of course. Uh, and they, then that changed at the end of last year, around about August, September time. Was that? Uh, it was at the end of last season. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, we'll hear early next week, I'm sure, where that is. There is a British TV deal uh, on the cards, clearly not quite inked as yet. I think it might even be inked, but we're not allowed to say who it is. Right, okay. Um, nobody sent me a press release saying it's embargoed, so I'm only talking about rumour and speculation here, is all I'm going to say. Um, shall we do a bit of NASCAR? Yes. Shall uh, we start with oh. the trucks? We can start with the... Gander Outdoor Truck Series, as it's called. (laughs) Right. Uh, Let me see. It was was an important race in the career of Kyle Busch, who has now become the winningest driver in the Gander Outdoor Truck Series history. Well, he would do if there was such a word as winningest. Or indeed (laughs) if the Gander Outdoor Truck Series had a history. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So he's won two races to anybody else's none. He's won one. Right, he's won okay. one, so and he's someone tied. else has won one. So he's uh, tied. <laughs> but if you go back to uh, Camping World and Craftsman and, and all of that. all the previous uh, yeah. Truck Series sponsors, it it really was a, a good night for Kyle Busch, and especially when you consider now that he has won more races in two of NASCAR's three series than any other drivers. Oh, really? Yeah, because he's the record holder in Xfinity too. He's won ninety-two races there. He now has 52 in the Trucks series, so that in itself is impressive. He surpassed, I believe it was Ron Hornaday. They were tied on 51, and uh, he's got 195 total over the three series. Well, uh, I think that means we should really have a listen to what he's got to say. Yeah, Yeah, it was certainly, um, you know, a big deal for me, a big deal for our team. Um, You know, Rudy and these guys, they prepare some awesome trucks as do Hillman and uh, and Marcus so uh, certainly it's a lot of fun to be able to come out here and race with my own team and um, and to have Cessna as well as Toyota and TRD support everybody that gets us to the track and to be able to go chase after records that's that's not what we're here to do we're just here to go out there and compete and win and and do what we can and obviously everything that's tallied up over the years is getting us to this point so um, you know we just continue to strive to do our best and 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 uh, Today it was was really really good. Truck was awesome. It was flying out there, so uh, felt really good and and nice to be able to get it in the first start and uh, to hopefully be able to go, you know, five for five this year. That's what your ultimate goal is. But uh, we'll see what all we can get done. Good stuff there in the Xfinity Series race. Uh, ding dong! It was Chris Bell calling. He absolutely <laughs> dominated, didn't he? He really did. I like what you did there. Um, he came out of the the green flag, effectively. The field was set on points because qualifying was rained out. And I think it took about five minutes before the commentators were only talking about Chris Bell throughout the rest of the race because <laughs> he and that Toyota Supra just checked out and said, no, we're, we're in our own race today. We're not even worrying about the rest of you. 
it was so impressive. First win for the Supra, mm. which is still drawing criticism and praise. Pick what side of the fence you sit on and then firmly sit on it. It seems that nobody's sort not of the in prettiest middle. thing. Let's be honest. You, no, I'm, I'm definitely not a fan. Um, but you know, it's a winning car now, so winning cars are pretty cars. Um, but more importantly, it was Toyota's 150th yeah. win. To Extraordinary be a that, isn't it? It seems like only yeah. yesterday we were talking about Toyota coming into the series and what a big deal that was and 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 now exactly. a book 50 in terms of wins on on the card already amazing yeah and what was also impressive was the fact that uh, Christopher Bell was able to get all three of the stages so he won yeah. both of the stages in the race and then went on to win the whole thing altogether. That's a sign of dominance and now this is a kid who's already got his ticket punched yes for the playoffs effectively so we're two races in and he knows that he's going for a championship i've got a feeling um, he's got a future uh, in yeah. uh, this type of racing should um, he uh, be in cup series already Shay? christopher bell mm-hmm. um he... on, on a every race basis rather than just occasional forays that I don't know. I know that um, there's a team that they were talking about over the course of the weekend that's already looking at bringing him in next year, and I can't remember who it was off the top of my head. Uh, not Hendrix, but there was somebody who, who they were saying already wants this kid for next year for Cup. I don't think it'll do him any harm doing the season where he is before... Yeah. So, but and and the question is, of course, where would he go? Where's where's there a gap for him? Um, well, and you don't want to move up too soon because we've seen it happen to so happen. many people that were phenomenal in trucks. They they stood out in the Xfinity series and then they went to Cup and just disappeared. Sorry, I'm I was slightly. Um, yes, four wickets in four balls for Butler there. Yeah, three hundred eighty-nine. All out Just in England win by 29 runs. You must be a bit ahead of me. Yes. I've still only gotten 389 for nine. Excellent. Ah, um, have they left on fire yet? Yeah, not yet. Um, Atlanta as a venue, I've always liked it. It's a bit of an old school track. It's quick, but it's bumpy. It yeah. means that there's not one groove, is there? And it, what fantastic racing we were treated to in all three series. Whenever there would be a restart, it, it just looked sort of like the swarm. And cars were coming out in every direction. They were making passes everywhere on the track. I, you could go high. You could stay low. You could be in the middle. At one point, I think there were four or five wide. And oh, it, was, it was just really fun to watch. But especially in the cup races when it, it really started to stand out that there is no one right way around the track. Atlanta's awesome. And they were saying that some people want to repave it. Please, please, please no. don't repave it. No. It's cool. I think it was Rashid who just took the hat-trick. It, it, was, it was Rashid, yeah. Not yes. a hat-trick, but four. He, he took four. four I, I took my eyes away from the it screen. It was the second, moment. third, fourth, and fifth balls of the over, I believe. Fantastic. Oh, no, it wasn't. Third, fourth, fifth, and sixth balls of the okay. over. Fantastic, just to prove we are live. Uh, let's talk about the big show. Uh, what used to be called the Southern 500. <laughs> the What's it called now, Shay? Oh, it's got a great name. Uh, what was it? I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, it was um, the Folds of Honour Quick Trip yes. 500. Now, Folds of Honour mm -hmm. 
It sounds like it could be a computer game in the line of Call of Duty. Yes. yes. Or it could be a TV show where uh, Sean Connery era James Bond learns origami from Pussy Galore. Do you know what it is? I do know what it is. It's oh, right. a charity that helps children of servicemen. Military scholarships for spouses and children. Yeah. It's a non-profit uh, organisation. And so I, I'm not entirely certain how it sponsors a race, but um, I like the idea of uh, if that was a, uh, a gimme, that, I think that's a great... Uh, uh, a great cause. It's generally uh, a corporate sponsor that has a nominated charity for a year will pay the money to name it after their charity. Yeah. And they I don't provide know which corporate sponsor it was in this case, if that was the case. So it's providing educational scholarships to spouses and children of America's fallen and disabled service members. Honour their sacrifice, educate their legacy. What a great mission statement that is uh i don't know if brad keslowski um how he was feeling because he wasn't very well in the early part of the week um and austin sindrick got into a cup car for his first run in a competitive weekend and that clearly worked better than called and flu relief on brad (laughs) keselowski keselowski the other thing his wife claims Go on, yeah, sorry, Tim. Uh, he and his wife claimed that it was the two IVs that he received in the medical center, all the Gatorade that he was drinking, all the electrolytes, basically doing everything in the world to try and get the flu out of his system. I really think it was just Austin Sender getting behind the wheel mm. of the number two car for about 20 laps on Saturday during practice. Brad looking up at the monitor and seeing his potential replacement driving his car and going, nope, no, I'm good. I, I can do this. I I really can, and boy, could he ever. There was something else Austin Sindrick did as well. Which was what? Uh, on Sunday before the race, he did all the uh, mandatory publicity and autograph ah. signings and all of that uh, stuff. Good. Such a good kid. He's a great lad. He's an oh. absolutely tremendous young man and great driver. Yeah. And he does everything out of the car with just the same professionalism as he does when he's behind the wheel I, I think he's a real superstar real superstar um, it was um, the race itself uh, Keselowski got his head in the game and well, again though this is a couple of weeks in a row where at the end other cars played a part in a Penske machine winning the race Yeah, uh, last week at the Daytona 500, it was Michael McDowell, as we talked about, Mm. not pushing Joey Logano for a Ford, potential Ford victory. This week, it was Ricky Stenhouse Jr., who had a very fast car, all right? He qualified on the front row of the grid. We knew that his machine was good, but he was racing Martin Truex. Mm. He was already down a lap. He was trying not to drop further back, and he effectively stopped Truex and the Toyota from being able to catch up with Brad Kay in the Ford. Mm. It, it, um, questionable. I mean, well, he's already got a lap down to the leader at that point. He shouldn't have been getting involved, surely. But you, yes, yes, and I agree with that. His driving wasn't 
taking it's not like he was doing things to take speed off of Truex he was mm. driving his race he was driving on the lines he was doing everything he could to stay up in contention potentially if there would be a safety car or whatever would happen he was driving his own race you don't just want to pull over and give way especially on a momentum track or a place like Atlanta where you're braking really hard all the time and then having to accelerate you don't want to let off any longer no. than you have to but Stenhouse isn't the most considerate driver to begin with mm. so yeah he didn't he didn't blot his copybook in terms of Ford <laughs> but he certainly didn't help for any other team wanting to pick him up no and indeed um second win for Brad Kay at Atlanta significantly for the Blue Oval a first for the new Mustang and here's a stat I am stunned at in terms of the wins for Brad Keselowski for uh, the Penske organization. Shea, you've got the stat. You've dug it out. It's 60 wins for Brad, which means that he has now surpassed Mark Donahue as the driver who has won more races for the captain than any other. And in tribute to that, Brad Keselowski at Las Vegas this weekend is going to be wearing a helmet with the Mark Donahue's colors on it in tribute for the late, great Mark Donahue. Yeah, it was uh, magnificent. I, I, that is a great start that yeah. you've dug out. Uh, Vegas, next on the circus ride? Vegas Trucks, the Gander Outdoor Truck Series, as Tim <laughs> likes to say. They race on Friday night. It's the Xfinity Series on Saturday late in the afternoon. But the Pennzoil 400 will be Sunday late in the afternoon. And uh, Brad's going to be looking to make it two in a row. Yeah, and uh, it was Quick Trip, by the way, a convenience store who was the corporate sponsor, hence the Folds of Honor Quick Trip 500. Thanks, Paul Sharp, for pointing that out, among others. And let's hear from the winner, second time at Atlanta, as we mentioned, for Brad Keselowski. Yeah, I'd say at, at the moment, uh, Jacob, I think it's a little bit of a, I'm in a little bit of a daze. Um, you know, it's a long, tough race, and, uh, um, you know, trying to, rewind it all in my head what all happened and and then think about what it means is is a little difficult to do in the moment but uh i think uh it's uh, certainly a, a really big day for us one that uh you know i'll reflect on for a long time uh it, all wins are special there, there's there's no wins that don't mean something but some just mean more um and and this one means more for a number of reasons uh whether it be the the win record for team penske that's certainly very special to me when you look at the list of drivers, um, it's a pretty big list. And it's uh, big not just with the amount of drivers, but big with the superstar and the, and the uh, superstar power, I guess you could call it. Uh, and, uh, you know, just to be on that list as a winner means a lot, but to be on top of it means even more. So that's that's special to me. And then I think, you know, winning the first race, whenever there's a major rules change, Kalowski reflecting on uh, exactly what that meant to him. Uh, another two wins this week end up for grabs for Penske uh, on the other side of the world, Cher. Oh, better for you. We're coming full circle. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's, again, trying to get a win in a Ford Mustang. The last time the Mustang raced in the Virgin Australian Supercar Championship or previous iterations thereof was in 1990. There are six Fords on the grid. Two of them are for Roger, including the defending series champion, Scotty Mack. So it's going to be pretty cool to see if he can get a win in his 200th career start. 
Mm. Uh, Johnny Palmer is somewhere near, apparently. It's and the... next week we'll probably not hear from him again about it. No, indeed. 20th, <laughs> 20th anniversary of the Adelaide 500, and there's one driver, here who has dominated that circuit. Jamie Wincup stands above the rest. He has won nearly a quarter of all the races that they've had at the circuit. There have been 42, and I think he's on 10 wins right now. So it's going to be interesting to see how he fares, but also his singular teammate, SVG, looking for redemption and also looking to keep a streak alive because he's won the last four races and four poles in the series at Adelaide. If he can get to five, he's going to be in rare air because nobody's done that before. Five poles and five wins consecutively. Uh, Hot one at the weekend, 102 degrees Fahrenheit. That's 39 degrees Celsius on Friday. Saturday, 101, 38. Sunday, a little cooler with clouds coming in. It's going to be a real endurance for the 500 this year. Uh, No Nissan. No Nismo cars, no Nissan factory support, but still four Nissans on the grid here. Yep, for Kelly Racing. Uh, they've got uh, Gary Jacobson. Happy birthday, I believe it was his birthday mm. uh, today for us, yesterday yes. for him. Yes. Uh, Simone Di Silvestro back in the Nissan. It's the same uh, looking lineup, some beautiful liveries. If you haven't seen them yet, go look them up online because it's going to be a fun weekend. But the four Nissans, the six Fords, and four. 14 Holdens, so oh boy, it's going to be a tough old fight down in Adelaide. All right, who wins the championship? I know the season hasn't even started yet, and this is not really a preview, <laughs> but you know, there's, there's been some big names. Uh, SVG came up a little short last year. Scotty Mack starting his 200th uh, race this weekend. The guy, other guys that we've talked about, Jamie Wincup, he's dominated pretty much everywhere, not just at Adelaide over the last few years. Who's he going to be? One of the big names or can someone break through? I'm going out on a limb. I'm going to say it's the guy who drove so aggressively last year in the last round at Newcastle. It's going to be David Reynolds. Ooh. Who do you think is it going to be? Ooh. I want an answer from you, John. Oh. I, I put my neck out there. Come on. I, I, I think SVG's back on form. Yeah, hard to argue with that. He'll be there or thereabouts. It's it's a question of, you know, if he keeps his head right, uh, I think. Um, but there's so, I mean, it's such a tight championship, really. There's probably any one of about, right now, there's probably any any one of four or five drivers. The biggest, the biggest unknown for me is how the Fords will perform against the Holdens. The Holdens did have, for me, a, an advantage last year. Um, with the the new regulations, the new cars, should I say? I I just don't know what the new Fords are going to go like. They look much better painted in their exactly. liveries than they did running in swirly colours or plain colours. The the shell car particularly looks good. I don't know. I, I can't wait. I can't wait. Uh, Shay, thanks very much. Speak to you again next week. Thanks, John. Uh, don't forget tomorrow eight o'clock. It's the TRS Toro Radio Show with a big. Big announcement tomorrow from the guys, so make sure you tune into that. Stay tuned now for an all-new inside story. We're going behind the scenes at Hewland. Those clever people who make transmissions and gears and bevels and differentials and stuff. How's it all done? You'll find out next. Thanks to all our guests tonight, particularly to President of Rahal Letterman Lanigan Racing. See, I can actually say it. Piers Phillips was on the line to us earlier on. If you missed any of that, the podcast will be up as soon as humanly possible. But there's no time to explain. 
it's five years since the llamas ran amok. Check it out on social media. Bye-bye. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.